Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Hello again. This is the fifth episode of Triple Threat Theater, and my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Dexberger. Welcome back, Dex. Welcome back, Milsey. Welcome back to all of you fine listeners. Hopefully mm-hmm. there's more than one of you. Hi, friends. <laughs> uh, another week or another mm-hmm. month or honestly, we still don't even know how often we're posting these because we haven't posted the first one yet. Yeah. But so. another however long, another episode mm-hmm. of the show. I'll just keep the people guessing. Yeah. I'm okay with that. We're keeping ourselves guessing as much as yeah. the people too. So You know, spontaneous. You know, spontaneity is the spice of life. Is it procrastination or is it staying one step ahead? Hmm. Well, we'll let the people decide. <laughs> Movies, baby. We're Movies. back. This week, as revealed last week, our theme is the nightly news. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go ahead and tell people what three movies we're watching and why we picked that title? Okay. Well, the three movies... On tonight's episode, All the President's Men, mm-hmm. Network, mm-hmm. and Broadcast News. So all journalism related. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll back me up on this? This was my idea? Yep. Question mark? No, it was. Um, how this came about. How did this I, come about? I don't completely remember. <laughs> this This was our 57th idea. So, I mean, you could say we crossed a lot of uh, easy ones off the list, mm-hmm. and then we started to get into the real nitty-gritty of what this show could be. I feel like there were a lot of obvious trios or of themes course. that we picked right off the bat. A lot of like thinking of ways to get some of our favorite movies in there and maybe throw mm-hmm. a few curveballs along with them. Mm-hmm. And then at this point, I mean, we've been like planning and scheming this show for so long now that we're Mm -hmm. uh i think we have 115 themes currently up to bat and you could um, say you know you could say we're master schemers (laughs) they're getting more uh obscure and uh just more not weird more uh peculiar well yes but it's also i don't know about you but i'm getting into like uh I'm almost getting into like Rain Man levels of like Venn diagrams of movies. <laughs> Figuring is, out ways to piece yeah. trios together. Which is fun for me and will be fun for us on the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, early on it was like, oh, clearly we got to do these three or, yeah, you know, like all day. This all oh, this funny idea, blah, blah, blah. So now it's like, because yeah, even though saying like we're getting peculiar, there's still plenty of like layup kind of movies you think like oh of course you would fit that together with something but well yeah i won't say what it is but the one i just pitched you and added to the list before we started recording this episode pretty obvious tie i don't know why i didn't think of it sooner yeah forget it but um like the one that you sent me i think it was earlier today 
I mean, there's a reason that they mm-hmm. all go together, but I never would have probably thought of that trio. But that's why I've got you. <laughs> well, perfect, because that there's quite the the uh, rabbit hole I went down that created that list, <laughs> which w- w- ties into tonight's show. So, hmm, okay, okay. Well, yeah. So. All the President's Men Network and Broadcast News. Had you seen any of these movies before? None of them. Oh. Uh, I had seen All the President's Men uh, some time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. It had been a couple mm-hmm. years, though. And I had also seen Network. Um, I feel like there's this there's this seminal like two-year period <laughs> when I went... like. Even when I was in like middle school, I feel like I was known as a guy who watched a lot of movies. Okay. Um, now, of course, back then, you know, my breadth of knowledge wasn't very wide, and the types of movies I watched wasn't super diverse. But um, you know, at some point uh, after graduating from the Kubert School, um, I'm I know that you and I have talked about this. You know about it. I don't I don't know if I've mentioned it on this show before. I've definitely talked about it on sidetracked, but I had to have surgery on my back. Yes, and uh, I had trouble getting that uh, surgery wound to heal. And for two years, I was out of work, and I was limited in kind of the things that I could do. Um, so that was the period when I first got a Netflix account. And for those first two years, when I had Netflix. I I feel like that was like a learning experience for me and all the mm. movies regardless of genre or style that I had ever heard were like classics or things that I should check out I started delving into them and that mm. was when I saw all the president's men in network I think network I oh. used to uh, like Warren Ellis is a big fan of that movie and I used to follow him uh like very closely online and be part of all of his message boards and forums and things so I always heard him reference that movie so I watched that one and I don't know if there was a specific reason why I watched All the President's Men, but, you know, it's a movie that people talk about, and it's kind of a classic at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Broadcast News, I got to admit, I, I, I maybe heard the title before, but didn't really know what it was. Yeah, I, I think well, All the President's Men, I knew was a movie, <laughs> but I don't, I, don't, I don't think I could have told you who was in it or even that it was a Watergate movie. Mm-hmm. I just knew it was like one of those movies that everyone should watch. Like I have, I've got no problem like admitting like I didn't. Ha- I've never had that experience like you did, where it's like, oh, I've got all this time. Let me burn through all these movies that are the classics that everyone should see. Like I'm still doing that at 36 years old. Like yeah, and let's be clear, there's still plenty of quote unquote oh, classics that I haven't seen and movies sure. I haven't gotten around to. But but we could say, I mean, you as far as your average person moviegoer i mean you've seen a lot of stuff i think it's fair to say that i have less of a life than most people so yes uh, that's true we wouldn't have to go that far <laughs> you're, just, you're an aficionado of cinema <laughs> oh god i wish everybody could view me in the same light as you joe jacksburg <laughs> why can't everyone be like you i don't mean that's easy it's see someday if you're ever directing movies people are gonna be like oh you know like that's what all the best directors do they're uh, aficionados <laughs> yeah I'm getting close to that Quentin Tarantino level of knowledge about stuff mm. that nobody cares about. Hey, I, well, me for one partner appreciate that. So <laughs> keep it going. Good to know. There's finally yeah. an outlet for my this particular area of my nerddom. Mm-hmm. There you go. So yeah, there's a lot of like your, I don't know. 
AFI's top 100 movies. I mean, there's a lot of those I need to see. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of movies from like the 70s that just picking out random decade, but I know there's lots of stuff there I have not seen. Okay. Like top top tier kind of all the... I feel like every year I'm always like, oh, you know, I want to go back and watch all the best picture winners. And I never do it, but... yeah. It's like I always find like I'm big on like those uh, just kind of tasks you could come to like, oh, do these 100 things or whatever. No, trust me. I love that, too. And that's like part of the appeal for me of doing this show the way that we do it is like having a I've said this a a million times. Like That's part of the reason I love doing Shocktober every year, which is when I try and watch 31 horror movies over the course of the month of October that I've mm-hmm. never seen before. I added that stipulation myself. Like a lot of people watch horror movies in October, yeah. but I added the stipulation that I wanted to watch ones I'd never seen just to force myself to watch all the movies that I've downloaded over the years. That mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. trash that you'd never really have an inkling of a reason to watch otherwise. But there's this right. part of me that's just like, I want to watch all of these things, mm-hmm. even if I would never get around to them. And this show I mean, there's a fair amount of movies that we have lined up for future episodes that I've seen before, but there's just as many that I haven't seen. And it's fun to be like, oh, here's a movie I really love. Let's review that on a show and then find one or two movies that I maybe haven't seen that I can tie to it. And there's my excuse to watch them. Hey, that's no more apparent for me than last episode's Love in the Age of Science. (laughs) Because, like I said, weird science goes way back for me. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I would have never took the time. I would have watched, I just would have watched um, Captain America Winter Soldier again instead of watching Zapped or Electric Dreams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like so those are movies show. that I've wanted to see for a long time and I finally had the excuse to do it. And one could sit back and say, like, well, what excuse do you need? If you want to watch it, just watch it. But like, mm. I have this weird sickness where there's like so many things I want to watch that. I just I need a reason to watch them, yeah. and this has provided that for me. I mean, I mean, in practice, I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, if you just want to watch something, just watch it. But in practice, that's a little different. Like, yeah, in practice, you would think like maybe I'll watch Electric Dreams, and then you're like, ah, I'll just binge like South Park again, even though I've seen it mm-hmm. seventy times. Yeah, see, I'm a I'm big on like multitasking. Like, I find myself. I really have to, like, if I want to watch a movie, I have to like sit down and watch it. Otherwise, I'm going to be like on the computer or drawing or doing something else. Mm-hmm. So I find myself gravity, like being like, oh, my Netflix queue is a hundred deep right now yeah. of things I've never seen that I want to see. But it's like I might be doing something else. So I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't watch that movie now. I have to give it my full attention, but I can't. I know that feeling all too well. And, you know, I always tell myself like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I still buy Blu-rays. Because I want to watch these commentaries while I draw. And then I'm like, oh, wait. No, I really want to pay attention to this commentary. I can't watch this now. Well, that, I mean, a commentary, it's it's almost a podcast, but with visuals attached that you've hopefully seen before if you're listening to the commentary. Again, in practice, it's tough. <laughs> well, you may go even deeper than I do. Mm. So that's the conundrum. But yeah. also the extreme positive of this show. It's just watching stuff, finding a reason to watch stuff. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Uh, so, hell, without further ado, shall we jump into our first film? Shall we? All right. Um, so, All the President's Men and Network both came out in 1976. I'm not sure which was first, but let's just go with All the President's Men because that's the first one I have in my notes. Okay. 
That was the first one I watched. Okay. Mitchell, no, he was talking to a reporter. Yeah, but I think I woke him up. Yeah, good notes? Verbatim. He really said that about Mrs. Graham. Well, I'll cut the words of her tit and print it. Why? It was a family newspaper. You know, once when I was reporting, Lyndon Johnson's top guy gave me the word. They were looking for a successor for J. Edgar Hoover. I wrote it, and the day it appeared, Johnson held a press conference and appointed Hoover head of the FBI for life. When he was done, turned to his top guy, and the president said, call Ben Bradley and tell him, fuck you. <laughs> well, everybody said, you did it, Ben. You screwed up. You stuck us with Hoover forever. I screwed up. But I wasn't wrong. How much can you tell me about Deep Throat? How much do you need to know? You trust him? Yeah. I can't do the reporting for my reporters, which means I have to trust them. And I hate trusting anybody. Directed by Alan J. Pakula. Mm-hmm. who had a long career uh, spanning from films such as To Kill a Mockingbird with Gregory Peck back in the Ooh. black and white era, up through All the President's Men, Sophie's Choice, and uh, The Pelican Brief in, oh, I believe, shit. the 90s. Is that a, that's Denzel? It is. Am I correct? It is. And Julia Roberts? I think so. So, long career. Not a name I know. He's one of those names, you know, I've I've seen and I've heard a million times, but if you were to, like, actually ask me, like, what's a movie he's directed, even though I've seen a couple of them, I would probably, you know, never be able to, mm-hmm. uh, like, pick his name out of my brain mm-hmm. on the spot, but. And you wa- first watched this, let's say, in the last 10 years, like you said, during. I your... probably watched it, God, it <laughs> 10, 12 years ago now, mm-hmm. which in my head still seems recent, but it's really not. Right. Um, so it had been a while. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I it's just a simple. Um, uh, what's the what's the term for it? Um, procedural on like the act of like researching something and just like real journalism. Like I'm sure that it's still Hollywoodized to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess we should say that the the movie is based on the book, also called All the President's Men, written by Woodward and Bernstein, who were the the two uh, journalists who broke the Watergate scandal wide open in uh, in the Washington Post. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I'm sure that, like I say, it's Hollywoodized a bit being a movie and all, but like the three movies that we're going to talk about are all about the same kind of subject, but they're all very different in their approach and like the specific things that they focus on. And -hmm. the thing that I really do love about this movie is just how specific and particular it is with like, especially this era of journalism and how things were done. Oh yes. We, we need to get into that. Um, Well, first I'll say too, just real quickly about these movies. I've, Maybe you'll back me up on this, but all three feel like very different genres as well. No, they totally do. That's yeah. kind of like what I was getting at is they all three are about kind of the same thing, but they all three have very different approaches. They are sort of different genres. Um, it's it's really interesting 
how you know we ended up with these three films mm-hmm. that go together so well and complement each other so well, but are also very different. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like we were watching the same movie over and over no, again. No, which again, go back to the format is what excites me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, what were what was your knowledge of Watergate? Almost none. When it comes to politics and history. <laughs> I'm I'm very bad. Those are not my strong suits at Trivia Night. Uh, you mm. want to ask me about uh, where Captain America's shield came from and what what material it's made of? I mm. I gotcha. Um, okay. <laughs> if you want to ask me about the movie All the President's Men, I can tell you things. If you want to know about the actual true events, I can tell you a little bit because I just watched this film within the last week. Right, but right. generally, generally not at all. Same here. Um... Of course, like just from growing up, you know, like Watergate's a thing. I knew it was the connection to Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it wasn't until seeing Forrest Gump that I knew it had something to do with a hotel, <laughs> the Watergate Hotel. Yeah, I at so least knew that much. <laughs> but going forward, um, I'd say I know more after watching this movie, mm-hmm. but like not quite enough that I could necessarily explain it to someone. Yeah, it's like, um, it's another thing about the focus of the movie. It's like the story of the film is about these two journalists who, like, get invested in the Watergate scandal. And they, like I said earlier, they, like, break the story wide open through the newspaper that they work for. But unlike your typical film, and why I call it, a like, a pure procedural, is you know very little about Woodward and Bernstein, who are the two main characters Mm. played by Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Like you don't really see like their private lives outside of work Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Um, I think you see the interior of Robert Redford's apartment maybe twice, but you don't even really see where Dustin Hoffman lives or anything like that. And the movie isn't focused on Woodward and Bernstein as characters. It's focused on them as a way to deliver like the uncovering of information, yeah, basically information. just the, yeah, the pure plot. The movie also not invested in the actual scandal itself and necessarily all the details of it, aside from just how these two guys are figuring the stuff out. And because yeah. of that, um, it's almost like if you watch a science fiction show or movie like Star Trek and, you know, the... Uh, Scotty is explaining to Captain Kirk why the warp drive isn't working and the warp drive isn't a real thing. So he's just kind of spitting out like techno babble gobbledygook and Mm -hmm. it's going in your ears. But while you don't fully understand what he's saying, you just get the idea like, oh, he's explaining why this thing isn't broken. He was saying something was leaking and now the fusion drive, whatever, like you understand it. And it's almost the same thing in this movie where they're not delivering information necessarily to the viewer as though like we're trying to teach you what happened. Like we're not trying to inform you fully of all the ins and outs of this. It's it's almost like techno babble the way they're throwing around names constantly. And I can't say that I at all times knew who they were talking about or what the connections with some of the people that were important in the Watergate scandal were. Mm -hmm. But that's because, again, the movie is just focused on showing you how a story like this can get covered and find traction in the media. Like from their level only. Yeah. It's it's not like, uh, you know, a movie like Zodiac by David Fincher, right. where a fair amount of that movie is in 
like the the newspaper, like uh, whatever you call that, like the the main floor of the the newspaper the bullpen. Yeah, yeah. It it like there's a lot of stuff in the bullpen. But that movie is more focused on the characters like Robert Downey Jr. and like the kind of decline of his life and uh, Jake right. Gyllenhaal and his obsession and the actual search for a killer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I would say like uh, like very clearly, All the President's Men, if that was made today, would be a vastly different movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, I one mean, of the best things about this movie is the tactile nature of how they have to track down information. Mm-hmm. Very much. like, And even... Like you were saying about like you don't get any kind of backstory, you don't know anything about those characters. Like if you if they made that movie now, like the first twenty minutes would be like, uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman fighting with his divorced wife, oh. picking up the kid, or yeah. you know, it's just like all that would be heavy into the story. And in in this movie, there is none of that. Yeah, and like I know from reading the Wikipedia article about the the film, just to like get little tidbits of information and see how it did when it was released and all. Like I know that uh, Carl Bernstein was in a relationship with the writer Nora Ephron at the time. But watching the movie, you have no idea if he's in a relationship, if he's married, if he has a mm-hmm. fucking house, like because that stuff's Nothing. not important and. That's one of the things that really draws me to the movie, I think, is I like it's the reason why I enjoy watching like cooking shows or it's the reason that I enjoy like those weird shows, like how how it's made and stuff like that, because I just Mm -hmm. I find like the the process interesting. Yeah. And like this could have been about any number of things, not just Watergate, because I don't have like an inherent interest in Nixon and Watergate and this kind of 70s stuff necessarily. But it's just, it's so well made, uh, Mm -hmm. just following the course of, like, you really feel the pressure that they're under, even if, like us, you are kind of a layman when it comes to these political issues and and what was actually happening at the time. And I just find that stuff so interesting. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's, I was like, I, that was the first movie I watched for this in. I don't know at what point I really noticed, like, oh, yeah, they're not giving us any kind of backstory or anything. It's just, it's all about, like, every step these guys took. And because mm-hmm. they don't waste any time with the extra, let's say, personal bits, I mean, they get right into, like, every single conversation these guys had with mm-hmm. different people when it comes to Watergate. And, like, I was kind of blown away. I don't know if this is the Hollywood treatment or it's accurate, but sometimes they'd be, you know... uh Dustin Hoffman would talk to someone on the phone and he'd get like a big piece of news and then he'd tell Robert Redford about it. And he's like, Oh, you know, can we run with that? Are we, are we good to go? And he's like, yeah, it's here. It's in my notes. We're good. And I'm just like, that's all you, that's all you needed. Yeah. I I was the same way watching it again this time. Like, like even their editor would say like he said that and uh, one of them would be like, yeah, it's right here in my notes. And like, that's all you need is notes. Like you you could make up notes. That's why, like, I feel like that would be rampant now. I feel like if you're yeah. trying to be a journalist now, you have to have video and audio of every single thing you do. Otherwise, mm-hmm. someone's going to just be like, oh, I never said that. Never and they happened. even, like, at, like, towards the end of this movie, the the one guy who they go to his house and they interview him and, like, his wife is having a, a child at the time. I don't remember the mm-hmm. character's name. But, like, that guy, they, they go, like, last minute. They're like, we need this information so that we can run this story. And he gives them the information they need. They run it. And then the next day they show like a uh, video footage of him on the news and he's like denying what they said. And it's like, but they had the notes 
But as far as other people know, that doesn't matter. But why did all the other notes that they take, like, why did that hold up? Like, did don't did yeah. just nobody dispute it? Like, and they don't get into it because I don't, you know, of course, because it's at the time. Maybe that's just everyone knew or mm-hmm. journalistic ethics. I don't know, but that's just the standard way of doing things. Where now I'm just like. God, I can't believe like that's it. That's all they had to do. I, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where when I watch like court movies or movies about reporters and things, and you hear like you hear people say like this is off the record, and it's like okay, so you're going to tell me something or admit something to me, and I'm just supposed to pretend I didn't hear it. Yeah, like, yeah, and I guess exactly. if you did run with that information, the person could deny it, but they could deny anything they tell you. And then like when you watch a like a, a movie about a court case, and like someone reveals evidence and they're like, this is damning evidence against the prosecution or, or whatever. And Mm -hmm. then, um, there's some like weird legal loophole where like, Oh, actually that wasn't allowed to be admitted. So we just have to tell the jury, we know you saw the bloody knife, but they weren't allowed to have that in the case. So just disregard that. Like, how do you ask someone to do that? And then it's just cool. (laughs) It's just, it's probably best that I haven't been on the jury stand yet because <laughs> yeah. that would be me be like, I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. Like I saw that thing, you know, like I get, I get the idea of why it has to be that way, but it's almost just, it's too mind boggling to me. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it's like, I'm not a robot and you can just like delete that from my memory or something. Yeah. But yeah, that's something I was wondering about this movie a lot as well. Like apparently the notes are the word of God. And as long yeah. as it's scribbled down in a notepad. Right. And you can like topple a presidency <laughs> off of like a legal pad yeah. and no one's going to like burn down your house or that office or kill you. Mm-hmm. I mean, at one point someone finally says like, oh, you know, you guys are in danger. Yeah. But they've been they've been running around stirring up a lot of shit mm-hmm. up until that point. Yeah. So it's just like different times. I just chalked it up to I was like to because I enjoyed the hell out of the movie. Like, um, I don't feel I this one's long. Is this one two and a half hours? Is it that long? I know it's over a little over two at least. It's over I, two. I, it might not be that long, but I remember looking and being like, oh, it's longer, but it doesn't really feel that way. Well, the movie keeps up this pace. There's never oh, like. Time a lull where, you know, one of the personal relationships of one of the guys falls apart or there's never a scene in the middle of the movie or like at the beginning of the third act where Woodward and Bernstein have a falling out and have to come back together or something. It's just solely focused on the gathering and distribution of information. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. sets the movie apart from a lot of other films. And that's one of the things that I find again, so fascinating about it. Like there's a scene early on, where Robert Redford is just like making some of his preliminary calls to people. And I love the way that it was edited where like he's on the phone and it's before things get too crazy. So he's just like casually talking to people and digging for answers. And you hear the audio of him talking to people on the phone, but you're only hearing his end of the conversation. But the Mm -hmm. camera is focused close up on his notepad, and he's just like scribbling notes and writing details down as people are saying things Mm -hmm. to him. And I don't know why, but I found that captivating. You know, I did too, and we'll get into like a technical aspect here. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about, which I thought was cool. And a couple times in this movie, I don't know the official name for like this uh technique but i feel like it was pretty it was a lot more prevalent in the 70s because it's they do it in the network as well and i've seen it a few other times is uh well they'll have like uh two the same shot but there'll be two different uh focuses 
Yes, that is called a split diopter. Thank you, Millsy. I'm not sure why it's called that, but I've heard people in the industry use that term before. And that is where they have the camera and they film something in focus and then they film the same thing out of focus and then they take the two and they put them together. So you have like you're focused on the foreground, you're focused on the background and there you'll always notice that there is a blur between the two and it's where the two images go out of focus. And that's how you notice that it's going on. Yeah. Especially now. There's a couple scenes in the bullpen where it's like, uh, I think the rest of the reporters are watching something on a TV mm-hmm. on the left in the foreground. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think it's Robert Redford is in the background typing. Mm-hmm. And even at the very end, it's like the last scene where they're both in the background, Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford, like typing away. Mm-hmm. Is that when it's they're all watching the TV? I think that might be when they're all watching the TV. It might be, yeah. But a couple times they do that same shot in the bullpen. And I was like, man, that just you never see that anymore. It looks so cool. Well, because they have technology now where they don't have to do that. Of course. That. But even but not even so much like missing the blur part of it, like the telltale blur, mm-hmm. but just that 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 kind of idea of the two things in focus. I can remember um I think when I first like kind of noticed it was uh quentin tarantino's death proof he does Hmm. that at one point it's when like before all like the crazy action gets going with the second set of girls Mm -hmm. and they're like discussing like taking that white that white car that they're like tricking the guy into letting them test drive Mm -hmm. he does it in there and i was like i can just that like visibly sticks out to me as something and then seeing older movies after the fact like spotting it. And I was like, it seems like it was a big thing in the seventies. Yeah. I mean, that was the, that was the way to do that. If you wanted to focus on two things at once, otherwise you Mm -hmm. had to have a, a rack focus and focus on like Robert Redford in the foreground and then shift the focus of the lens to the background. And then you have like the two, the, the points of blur switch like in camera. Mm -hmm. Um, I never noticed that in death proof before, but I don't remember the first time I noticed something like that in an old movie, but it's definitely something I've known about for a while and then at some point i was listening to an interview or something and i heard someone mention split diopter and again i don't Mm. know exactly what that term means but i know that that's what it's about i love that i was able to spit out that mumbo jumbo and you were like oh of course that is the split diopter." well they do it a lot of times in this movie so i was thinking about it as i was watching it it happens Mm. in network too but i don't remember where yeah it's interesting like um like, I don't know when that as a technique, like when people stopped using that, I don't know if it's something you can get around with like digital filming or whatever, but mm-hmm. I remember specifically when, um, Speed Racer came out that, uh, the Wachowskis worked with their DP or whoever to, and a lot of that movie is CG anyway, but they, like, they, I, I remember hearing something about how they, they worked out a way to keep everything like all fields of view in the shot in focus at the same time or or they that's something that they specifically did with CG so that at all times you would have everything in focus because it mimics the way like when you have a uh, an animated scene in like a cartoon which Speed Racer originally was everything is in focus because it's all on a flat plane that is drawn and painted on so mm-hmm. the far background is in focus as well as the foreground. 
and they wanted to mimic that look. So I guess using computers or digital photography or whatever, they made it so like at least the racing scenes, but I think the majority of the movie, every single depth in the frame is in focus at the same time which I remember thinking was a really cool idea. Not that depth of field is something you often think about in a movie unless you see one of these split diopter shots or or, some, or if you're watching a 3D movie, you know? Because mm-hmm. you're just, your eyes are used to whatever you're not focusing on is blurred out. It's just the way yeah. that your brain works. But I remember thinking that was a really interesting thing that they attempted to achieve there. Right. To get completely yeah, off yeah. track. Well, hey, there's going to be plenty of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I gotta look into that more because it's just a, seeing like old way of doing things like that was like uh, added to this movie quite a bit. I just mm-hmm. thought like a lot of uh, some great cinematography, you know, mm-hmm. and, and great acting too. I, I thought Robert Redford was amazing in this. Well, uh, Robert Redford apparently optioned the book not long after it came out, and he was the real one like championing to try and get this movie made. Nice. Um, and I thought it was interesting that originally he wanted Al Pacino to play uh, uh, Bernstein instead of Dustin oh, Hoffman, yeah. but mm. then at some point he decided Hoffman would be the better choice. I don't know if Pacino was on board or not, but that would have been a little different. And they're good because they're they're very different characters without again giving any background or any of that. Yeah, but just personality wise, they're very different. So I thought they played off each other well. Mm-hmm. And something else I appreciate about this movie and the way that it at least seems like it's trying to realistically play things is like the head guys and like the publishers at the newspaper they're obviously skeptical of some things and they don't want to run with something unless they are pretty sure that it's true because they don't want it to come back and bite them in the ass but you know you're used to in movies and maybe this is just me and maybe it comes from watching so many like cheesy 80s action movies but you're so used to like the guy in charge the suit like constantly shitting on all the decisions mm-hmm. of like Dirty Harry or whoever and, you know, you know, leave your gun and your badge on my desk and all that shit. But it was cool to see while the uh, the publisher and all those other guys were being trepidatious, they were also supportive the whole time. And it was less of like, there was never a part where they were like, stop, like you, you need to stop investigating the president or whatever. But they were always just like, do it, but you better fucking be careful. <laughs> Yeah, And it was just an interesting relationship, and again, it felt very realistic. It didn't feel like super Hollywood, you know? No, not at all. I mean, I agree completely. Yeah, the movie just has, like, a really good style. It's a very excellent way of, like, portraying the information, and, um, yeah, I just, it's it's gripping to me, because it's just watching people do what they're good at, or at least watching the characters do what they're good at. And um, it it definitely would be different, again, if it were made nowadays, because everything would be on a fucking computer, just like using search engines and stuff. And uh, back to that, too, it's got a great ending, which I don't think would happen nowadays either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll leave that for anyone who wants to see it. (laughs) And everyone should see this movie. Like, it is one of those films everyone talks about and is revered as a classic. And there's plenty of times when I've watched movies uh, that are you know, alleged classics or that mm-hmm. people love. And sure. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's okay, but I don't really get it. But this movie is one that I can wholeheartedly say deserves all the hype that it gets. And I think yeah. it stands out. And for the, I mean, as no surprise, but this is the first episode where all three movies are pretty highly regarded. Mm-hmm. The, you know, uh, we, yeah, we're, cinema. we're out of our elements a little bit here. There's no, yeah. uh, little puppet monsters running around yeah. or anything. <laughs> 
No, there's no, uh, you know, creature effects or, uh, yeah. Can't fall back on, um, talking about too many. Well, I mean, I was about to say can't fall back on talking about special effects, but how long did I talk about how to rack focus and do <laughs> split diopter shots? <laughs> That's just the like, shit oh, that, that I love. That triple threat theater is great, but it's very technical. <laughs> Uh, something tells me that will never be uttered outside yeah. of what you like you just saying yeah. it right now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um I don't know. Anything else to say about this one? I, I feel yeah, like it's I mean, it's all gravy. Like I yeah. I can't really think of anything that I didn't like about it. it. It made me want it made me excited to watch more the rest of these movies. Mm-hmm. And just more and more. I was like, oh I was like I just want to watch Butch and Sundance right now. Or you know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I have always felt, and it is like the era that I was, you know, I came from, and it's the type of movies that I watch more often than most. I I still think that just for like creativity and just like throwing crazy ideas at the wall and seeing what sticks, the 80s provided us with like a lot of really unique, entertaining, cool movies that are a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people out there who will say that the 70s was the best era of film, and it's for a different reason. Because whereas you had like crazy shit like Back to the Future and Ghostbusters and the Terminator and whatever in the 80s, the 70s was like, you know, the French New Wave coming into America Mm -hmm. and just films like this that were, you know, this isn't your typical style of movie, again, where it doesn't have like all of the the depth of like what the characters are like or whatever. It's it's a very kind of cold movie. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, just, you know, that was Hollywood trying new things and kind of letting the letting the um, the cooks take over the kitchen or whatever yeah. the hell that phrase is. And I mean, not to say like any previous decades, but I feel like uh, I don't know, just like the artistic side or like the art house feel of like 70s movies, you mm-hmm. know, where like 80s was just like when genre films took over. Yeah. Or, or at least for us, mm-hmm. but I'd say in general, even the s- movies in the seventies just have that certain feeling, that certain style, regardless of the subject matter, mm-hmm. that uh, is undeniable. Yeah, and there's a lot of quality there. I mean, there are a lot mm-hmm. of seventies movies oh, that sure. I love, but I think you know I'll always be an eighties boy. Same here. <laughs> All right, uh, so shall we move on to movie number two? Shall we? Network, also 1976. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. and There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. 
I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Written by Patty Chayevsky, who, I don't know about you, that's a name that I've always heard but never really knew what the hell he was known for. Again, nothing on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, watched this movie. I've seen it before, but I watched this movie, and I'm like, okay, Patty Chayevsky. I got to look at his Wikipedia or his IMDb profile, and the minute I clap eyes on it, I'm going to be like, oh, my God, he drew, he wrote so many amazing movies. Not really the case. I mean, hmm. maybe many of them are good, but he didn't write a whole lot of movies that I feel are household names. Okay. Like, the things that really stuck out to me were Network, um, a movie called Marty from, I want to say it's like the 50s, maybe. It was... Uh, uh, early starring vehicle for Ernest Borgnine before he became just like a character actor sidekick kind of guy. All right. Um, which I only know about because I watch a lot of Turner classic movies <laughs> and um, th- like the guys who run TCM must love Marty. I've never seen the actual film, but they are pimping it all the time. That is not a thing I knew about you. What? That you watch a lot of Turner classic movies. I mean... I honestly, I don't watch a ton of television. Like a lot of people these days, probably I don't really channel surf or anything like that. I, mm-hmm. the shows that I do watch, I record and then I just watch those and I'm done with it. So while I watch like South Park, I don't typically watch Comedy Central. I just, you know, I record South Park and I watch it. Sure. Um, but the two channels that I will just turn on and watch are Turner Classic Movies and the Game Show Network. <laughs> I find that fascinating, and it makes me love you even a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, I it's part did. of that thing I was talking about at the beginning of the show where I've got this, like, unusual desire to just, like, see every movie. Yes. And there's so many films on Turner Classic Movies that I would never watch or even know about otherwise. But I love to just turn it on and be like, oh, shit, it's uh, Jimmy Stewart, and I haven't seen this before. Let's let's <laughs> Let's keep with it and see what it is, you know? Like, oh, this is 46 minutes into this Jimmy Stewart movie. Let me start watching it now. Yeah, or, you know, uh, you know, if I see something, I'm like, this is pretty interesting. I'd like to see the rest. You know, you skip forward a couple days, and they're probably playing it again, so. Fair enough. Because um, I'm going to say, I mean, you're not a Neanderthal, Milsey. You don't sit around and watch commercials. I mean, who the hell does that anymore? <laughs> Yeah, just like with all the movies and stuff and TV like series that I want to watch, I never find myself really just sitting down and flipping through channels. And but if yeah. I do, you know, I don't always drink beer, but if I do, it's <laughs> Dosa Keys. If I if I do watch TV, it's TCM or the Game Show Network, which couldn't right. be any different from one another or any more different yeah. than one another. But uh, the one other movie that stuck out to me that Patty Chayevsky wrote is Altered States, which I think was his last movie. Hmm which is like a weird pseudo-horror sci-fi film um, starring William Hurt from the 80s. Hmm. Um, Is that cult status? Yeah, definitely a little bit. Interesting movie. Um, It's hard to describe, so I won't bother right now. Maybe I'll try and find a way to work it into one of our episode themes. That's how these things start. Yeah. But so, yeah, Patty Chayefsky, 
I feel like that is a name that is extremely well regarded, but I don't really know why. I guess I just have to watch more of his movies. Um, mm-hmm. And then directed by Sidney Lumet, who I do know a lot of his films. Um, one of my favorite movies was directed by him, which is 12 Angry Men, mm. which is either the first or second movie he ever made. And that movie is fucking really? amazing oh my God. for like Such a first a or second time director. Mm. Um, That's another one. Just everyone got to see that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like that TCM fan side of me, nothing makes me happier than the fact that like, you know, you and Joel and Tony and Brian and I get together and hang out and we're all fans of like 80s movies and comics and sci-fi and stuff like that. But one time when we were all together, we decided to go to like an, uh, a repertory theater and watch a screening of 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a memory that I cherish. <clears throat> Same here, man. We know how to have fun. <laughs> but uh, Sidney Lumet, also the director of Serpico, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, Dog Day Afternoon. And oddly enough, I didn't know this, The Wiz, the Wizard of Oz movie (laughs) that's like a weird musical Michael Jackson version. Like, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but like, I love behind the scenes of things. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, of course, like commentaries, making of movies. I know we've talked about that, but just kind of like almost anything. Like, I'll watch, you know, I could watch... uh, this old house or whatever, like just guys behind the <laughs> scenes, like rebuilding. Like, I just love that stuff. And like Hollywood things fascinate me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, just to, um, I'm just kind of like fascinated. Like there could be thousands of people that would just like want to be a fly on the wall in their, like in their, uh, behind the scenes of like him. What conversation did he have that ended up with him directing The Wiz? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, especially after the movies he'd already made, it just kind of, like, blows my mind. Like, anytime any, or when you hear about, like, any actor that, like, uh, whatever movie, pick any movie where, like, someone was attached to a movie and then, like, it fell through and then mm-hmm. it ended up being with this other actor. Like, those, like, behind the scenes, like, things with, like, agents or whatever, like, I don't know if I would want to be like as high stress a job as like a Hollywood agent. Yeah. But like to be in like one of those offices, I feel like would fascinate me to see like <laughs> the day to day behind the scenes of that stuff. I would watch the Showtime series about Joe Daxberger, Hollywood agent. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> me too. Yeah. No, I find that stuff fascinating. But I, I feel like, you know, nowadays, maybe a little more than in the past, um, a director will, is, as soon as they become high profile enough that you know their name, they kind of fit into a certain genre or genres and that's kind of where they typically play. Mm -hmm. But I feel like back in the day, especially like really old school Hollywood, but even up into like the fifties, sixties, seventies, um, those old school directors, they would do like anything and not to say like they would take any job just because it's work, but you know, they wouldn't look at like a horror movie and scoff and say like, those aren't the kind of movies I make or, you know, a musical and say like, ah, I'm not going to do that hoity toity Mm -hmm. garbage or whatever. Like those old school guys did have a wide, crazy range a lot of times in the types of movies that they would make. They just had their, had their stogies going and you know, their, their steaks cooked rare and they're just like, (laughs) Just, just bring it, bring it on. You know, what's the next job? Glass of whiskey you know? on set and go. I don't <laughs> yeah. care what I'm directing. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. 
But uh, so network, like I said earlier, um, Warren Ellis, the comic writer, one of my favorites, mm. is a big fan of this movie. And I feel like it's one of his favorite things to randomly quote, be it on his Twitter or in one of his old mm-hmm. uh, forums or whatever. And I feel like I watched this movie specifically because of of him. And That uh, seems like a thing you would do. Watching the movie uh, the first time and again this time, it, I, it's 100% clear to me why he's a fan of this. <laughs> hmm. Because of um, the absurdity and just the uh, insane nature of it. <laughs> I, yeah, I was not accepting expecting it to be so over the top well did what did you know about this movie like what was your concept about the movie since you had never seen it uh nothing nothing i had nothing i was i was like uh i was before picking these movies i think which i want to say for this episode started with all the president's men and i just like worked my way backwards to find things that fit Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't think because i don't even remember until i sat down to watch it like the whole satirical part of it yeah I just thought it was another movie about uh TV network. Mm-hmm. So I was there was a lot I was not expecting. I didn't know any of the synopsis, nothing. <laughs> wow. This must yeah. have been an interesting first time watch for you then. <laughs> well, it was it was kind of amazing cuz I mean that's I don't know where you know, I'm not well versed enough to say like the guy's main quote is in like the top 10, top 20, top 100 of like all-time movie quotes. Yeah, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I mean, I was kind of blown away when that was like, this is what that's from. <laughs> oh, so you knew the quote but didn't know what it was from. Yeah, of course. Okay. Like, I mean, I've heard that plenty of times. I'm mad know. as hell, and I'm not oh. going to take it anymore. <laughs> Dude, not, not a clue in the world that's awesome. that it was from this movie. Yeah, so I feel like, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen it, this one requires a little bit of a, a description um, synopsis. It, it does because it was like a it was a weird experience for me to watch it. I mean, I'll that sounds that, like cause... an amazing way to watch this movie to think you're going into a completely straight like movie about uh-huh. network news and then it turns into this. Yeah, because I was just like, "What the? <laughs> I was what the fuck is going on?" And I was and this is the last one I watched, so I like got through the other two and I was like, "Wow," I was like, "I had no idea," because <laughs> within. Um, I don't know. Was it twelve minutes? And they've got the uh, anchors telling he's going to kill himself. Well, on doesn't live the TV? movie, if I'm remembering correctly, it opens with a scene of uh, Howard Beale, the the Peter Finch character, who's the news anchor, who says he's going to kill himself live on air, talking to is it William Holden, who's like his his buddy at the network, and they're like yes. at a restaurant. I feel like they're mm-hmm. like on a a like an sitting outdoor like restaurant style, and he's saying like. I I think I'll kill myself on air, like yep. jokingly, and then he actually like mm-hmm. s- starts to go through with it. Yeah, isn't that how it's the movie a, it, opens? Yeah, it's 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 almost like uh, I kind of almost missed that part of it too, because it's like cold opening. It just goes right into that. Yeah, and I mean, not if you don't know that's what the movie's about, you would think like, oh, he's just being facetious or whatever. But no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the movie is about um a television news anchor, and so this movie, it, this movie, super before its time. Oh, um, for sure. I mean, I don't know fully what the political climate was like in the mid seventies. I mean, it was an era of change. I know that much, and this was right around the time again of the whole like uh, Watergate scandal and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's kind of a thing nowadays. We know, like, uh, you know, puppies being saved or like 
you know, the high school football team winning a championship, like nobody cares about that shit. They turn on the news to see like the blood and the guts and like how many murders there were and Mm -hmm. tsunamis and all. And this movie takes that stance of like ratings are down for this news station. And Howard Beale is their news anchor who's been on for like decades. And they decide they're going to like can him because his ratings are down. And he's like, after all this time I put in and like I do my job and I deliver the news and all anybody wants anymore is like crazy blood and guts. So he decides I'm going to go on the air and I'm going to say I'm going to kill myself like one week from today live on the news. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he does that. And then all the people in the control room catches it. Yeah, yeah. Like one person does outside. But then after the fact, when they realize what happened, they're like, oh, we have to fire him and get him off the air. But then, um, what's her name? Uh, Faye Dunaway is like one Mm -hmm. of the program managers or something. And she's just like kind of a younger, like cutthroat character, whereas most of the other ones, including William Holden, who ends up being her love interest, uh, like all the all the older guys want to get rid of him but she's like no let's put him back on the air like it's going to get amazing ratings and then when they put him back on the air uh and he again claims i'm going to kill myself um the ratings are so good that the station just starts pretty much doing anything for a rating Mm -hmm. and it gets to the point where they are programming a television show that's about real life terrorists and um, they give yeah. Howard Beale his own television show where he can just rant and say whatever he wants and yeah. they're not going to censor him at all. Like things get out of hand very quickly. Yeah. And it is, like you said, a satire and it's pretty over the top. But at the same time, like I don't I don't believe like in this day and age any of this would happen. It also seems like the kind of thing you'd see in like a movie like The Running Man where it's like in the future we're going to have a game show where people die. Um, it seems like pretty extreme, but the movie always somehow grounds itself. And mm-hmm. I'm, I always believe what is happening within the context of the movie. Like, I don't think that it translates to real life and that I could see any of this really happening, but it kind of never goes quite as far as you would expect it to until the very, very end, that meeting that they have about what to do with Howard, mm-hmm. uh, that I, I right, guess I don't right. want to give away what that is, but, um, Which is- amazing yeah at that moment it's like okay the movie may have just jumped the shark and taken it too far and then the movie ends and it's like wow you know that was the perfect place to stop it because they stopped themselves before they like stepped over the line Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's one sorry go ahead well i was just gonna say that especially at the very ending what did you think of the voiceover well (sighs) Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not crazy about the voiceover all told. No, me neither. It does give it a weird, like, um, like reflective uh, storybook feeling of, like, obviously this is preposterous, and it almost mm-hmm. gives that feeling without them coming right out and saying, like, you know, this is a Twilight Zone. Like, what would happen if? It just right. gives you that feeling of, we know it's loony, but we're going to, we're going to we're going to go down this road and see where it takes us if that makes any sense yeah, like as i was watching it i was like i w- i didn't cuz they kept like howard beale howard beale and i was like i almost feel like i it would have been better without it just cuz i wouldn't have known wh- i was uh, without it i would have been like where is this going who are they focusing on like it was it's so nuts yeah cuz it starts off and you think it's going to be all about Howard Beale but then yeah. he falls into the background a little bit and it becomes mm-hmm. more about Faye Dunaway William Holden 
and right. like the people behind the scenes at the network and just them juggling everything and trying to stay relevant by staying absolutely insane with their programming choices. Um, then, which as I was watching it, I was like, I was kind of surprised. Like I said, this was, I watched this one last. So after broadcast news, but this one has like the love triangle or, or just the uh, affair mm-hmm. part of it, which you know, I at the time I didn't really I wasn't enjoying too much because I thought it took away from the actual stuff at the at the network. Mm-hmm. But then it it leads into like the confrontation he has with his wife, <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. Uh-huh. And I f- I found out after the fact that that actress won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, and she's only in the movie for like five and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I was blown. I was like, that scene was intense. And then to, I got like goosebumps when I read later that she won that because I was like, dude, yeah, like to be like in in the like at the Oscars at the time, like that would have been so wild. Like I want to <laughs> go back and like see her win. Yeah. Now you probably can somewhere. Mm. Yeah, that is that is interesting. I was a little surprised when I read that too, but that is a impactful scene to say the yeah, least. Big time. So that like me because again, that's part of me still feels like the whole uh, affair thing was kind of out of place. But you know, just to have that final scene part of it with her with the confrontation was so amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, that. I feel like the point of the uh the affair like there is like a subtext to it like um oh sure just you know all of the all of the viewers all they want is sensationalism and blood and guts and that kind of stuff. They don't want any like they don't care about the meaningful news. Like they're so preoccupied with whatever's going on in their own lives that like they they don't pay attention to the outside world. And then Faye Dunaway's character um she is completely devoid of emotion for the most part, aside from the ability to get angry. And, you know, she has this like girlhood fascination with uh, William Holden's character because she idolized him when he was like a younger guy on the news back in the day. And so she takes this opportunity to be in a relationship with him that for her is completely loveless. And then that big scene that they have at the end of the movie he's literally like i need you to be here like present in this relationship um and she's like you want like the family and the kids but i can't do that it's just not part of me mm-hmm. and it's it's paralleling you know the whole what the she's basically as a woman and as the person in charge at the news station she's the same thing she's like cold and calculating mm mm-hmm. Um, but something that I found interesting is I was reading, uh, that, uh, Sidney Lumet, Sidney Lumet, when he was directing the film, he told her specifically, like your character is completely emotionless. And if you ever, while acting in this role, try and be sympathetic, uh, during one of the scenes, I will cut that footage from the film. Wow. <laughs> Like he wanted her to be just cold and calculating and they pulled it off. I mean, when he he is like laying his heart out on the line to her in that scene in the kitchen Mm -hmm. about how she's not present. And then there's that brief pause and the phone rings. Mm -hmm. You could cut that tension (laughs) with a knife. Big time. Oh, that was another amazing scene there. Mm -hmm. 
without spoiling the ending, I will just say like they it ramps up big time. Mm-hmm. And again, like my movie watching experience with it was different than most. Mm-hmm. But I did I did enjoy it. I mean, again, I I would think. <sighs> I say the the voiceover was just very distracting. Even the the very final line, I don't remember exactly what it was, mm-hmm. but um, it just added to the whole thing of like oh, I could have done without the voiceover. But I didn't hate the voiceover. It was jarring. Like I would always forget that there was voiceover in the movie, and then it would pipe up again after like twenty minutes, and I'd be like, oh mm, yeah, exactly. oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because it's not constant at all. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe three or four or five times. I think, though, the very beginning and the very end are the two times I kind of liked it the most because it did remind me of, like, I can't think of a specific example, but if you think of, like, old school Disney movies, I know there's at least one or two where the animated Disney film will, like, start on a picture book and then it's, like, the pages open (laughs) and it, like, shows an image Uh and you maybe have narration talking about what's going to happen and then it zooms in. And that's kind of what it makes it feel like. It makes it feel... hmm? That's one messed up picture. (laughs) Hey, man, they kill Bambi's mom right in the beginning of the film. But it gives you that feeling of like... uh, Like, I don't remember exactly what it said, but like Howard Beale was a well-respected newsman and uh, blah, blah, blah. Like, things are Mm -hmm. going to change. And then it's like you go into the movie. (laughs) And at the end of the movie, it's like a completely insane ending. And then it cuts to like the news stations covering what just happened. And Mm -hmm. like, I think if I'm not mistaken, like three of the four screens you're seeing, they change to something else. And it's like this insane fucking thing just happened on TV. But the point they're getting across is like, people don't even care anymore. Like, it's like, like people are completely oblivious to this stuff. And then it's like the voiceover comes back in and in so many words gets across the point of the movie again. And it just feels like, the story is over and we're done. Close the book credits. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it gives me an interesting feeling. <laughs> I did like without the voiceover. I did like that with the screens. Cause it definitely shows you like, like just like you're saying, like no one even cares. And it's like, well, you know, these networks, Hey, we got commercial space. We got to sell <laughs> exactly. like what's the priorities here. It's, it's so interesting the way this movie, like if, if I were to watch it, and not know exactly when it came out or like any of the people in it, I would Mm -hmm. think maybe it was a movie from like the mid to late eighties or something at the earliest, because like it's not spot on, but just with like the rise in the past like decade and a half or more of uh, like reality television. Oh, hundred percent. dude! And just like thinking back to like, uh, you know, once upon a time, Bart Simpson saying like, eat my shorts, and then a kid wearing a T-shirt to school with that phrase on it was like grounds National for dismissal. News. And yeah. yeah. And then you get to the point where like South Park. I don't know why this is the third time South Park has come up on this episode. <laughs> but, hey, go with it. But like then South Park originally comes out and they're like pushing the boundaries even on a cable channel with like some of the things they say. And mm-hmm. nowadays, like The Simpsons is the tamest thing. The Simpsons oh. comic books go in the all ages section of the comic book store and South mm-hmm. Park is like beloved by everybody pretty much across the board, despite how weird and disgusting and lewd it can be because of how smart it is and just like how quickly we can go from eat my shorts is something we don't want to hear to 
ah, if they say bitch, bastard, and ass, and whatever, mm-hmm. like, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it, this movie is prolific, for sure, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, it's it's a movie that, it's, I, like, would you call it a comedy? I mean, of course, back to the different genres. Uh, no. It's weird. I but struggle I with I that. I don't know. Because I feel like it is, like, more, like comedy brings this connotation with it when you say it, that it's like trying to get laughs. I almost would, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I would almost call it a humor movie. I mean, yeah, it's like, as much as it sounds crazy to say, like, satire in this case has to be a separate genre almost, because it's not a comedy. Yeah. But, like satire can still it's like satire in the way that robocop is satire sure yeah perfect example <laughs> you, know what I, you, uh-huh. you know what i mean like and it's almost just in like a it's it's poor outlook on society is what makes it that different distinction mm-hmm. but yeah i'd have a hard time saying that is a comedy i mean you Network get closer if you comedy. say dark comedy but i think what i was trying to get at a minute ago is like i would say that the movie is humorous Obviously, they knew what they were doing, but it doesn't feel like a movie that's tactfully trying to make you laugh. It's just a movie that when you stop and you look at it, it's like, that's so fucking absurd. Right. Like nervous laughter. Yeah, you can't help but like, you know, snicker at how insane it is. (laughs) Again, another one that would never get made today like that. Or if it did, oddly enough, I think today it would have been like watered down. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to agree. But, I mean, just for the fucking diatribes and the speeches that these people had to to memorize and perform in this movie, like every Mm -hmm. character, especially Howard Beale, Peter Finch, but every character has at least one scene where they just give like a three straight minute just barrage of dialogue with like maybe one or two cuts through the whole thing. And it's all impressive. Like, you know, Faye Dunaway, good actress, not someone who I would go to as being like one of the greats necessarily. But when you watch some of the scenes in this movie, just the fucking look on her eyes. Oh, yeah. Like she is that character in those moments. Mm -hmm. Just an an intense movie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Speaking of which, before I move on, um, you know what I really liked in this that was barely in it? Hmm. Robert Duvall. Yeah, not in it a whole lot. And you know what I liked, which... We're going to go down a rabbit hole a little bit here. Please. <laughs> uh, the like couple scenes he is he's in, he's like losing his mind cranked up to 11. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know if it's like a sign of the times or just like a sign of a, like a phenomenal actor. But there's just certain movies. Like I have to do more research. But there's certain movies I just love when... An actor is just so good or he's being directed so well that like they turn it up so high that it feels like completely real. Like it's not even acting anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's like him in this movie to a point. Um, it made me think of uh, Serpico, which uh, have you seen Serpico? Mm-hmm. Also directed by Sidney Lumet. Yeah. So do you know the part where he's Serpico and he's got like, a, I don't know if it's like an informant or something back in the police station and he's like making them like strip and do like uh 
check his pockets and everything. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, you think Al Pacino is going to beat the shit out of this guy. <laughs> and if he had a gun, it would have gone off in someone's direction. Yeah. And then in that scene, and then as I'm going down this rabbit hole in my brain, I'm like, like man, Robert, Robert Duvall really turned it up. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's just like, you know, makes me think of Serpico. It's a it's an Al Pacino thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Because I can think of like three times he does it in Heat, which... I know it's a movie you don't care for, but that I love. And he is like prime, like flipping out in that movie. And it's some parts I love. Well, he's one of those people where, I mean, especially at one point in his life, he was a very well-respected actor. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like he is known maybe more in the latter part of his career for he was a guy where if you wanted someone to just fucking flip out and shout on screen, you got (laughs) Al Pacino to do it. Oh, man. It's like it's so primo in heat, which I love. Um, you know, I don't know because you have you not seen that in a while. He, um, I probably watched it within the last decade, which again seems like a long time, but maybe like seven or eight years ago, I watched it for the mm. most recent oh, okay. time because it's just a couple times, and it's not so much like because I even, of course, I, I was on like YouTube and I was like, oh, I just want to watch like movie freakouts right now, <laughs> but, but, but no one's got a video for me where it's just like. He's like really ramped up to 11, like quick freakouts. The videos I'm looking for are just like that little, it's it's just such such a quick explosion, really. It's not even like a full rant freakout. It's just like this little explosion, which there's plenty of in heat. And uh, also, you've seen Copland? Oh, yeah. Love Copland. Because it's that one part where De Niro's talking to Stallone. And he's like, Stallone like finally comes back and he's like, you know, I, I want to help with your investigation. And uh, Daniel's just like talking to him. He's like, "It's like I came to you to help me." And he's like, hey, "You blew it." You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, those little things I love. Well, I think you must know what this means. You need to provide the world at large via YouTube with a video featuring your favorite movie blowups. Yeah, because uh, tr- trust me, I looked. Not I didn't do a, the deepest dive, but I just I of course. Any movie fan will know that YouTube is shitty full of terrible list videos. Oh, yeah. Usually someone with a British accent, <laughs> struggling comedian, you know, uh, terrible diatribes in between each clip. Like, I don't, I'm not here for you, sir. <laughs> I'm here for the freakouts and none of these are good. I watched one and like the, th- the number three freakout was uh, when Ace Ventura finds out that uh, Ray Finkel is now the police chief or whatever. And I was like, I can't watch any more of this. <laughs> Where are those real freakouts? Give me that good stuff. <laughs> Einhorn so, yeah, is Finkel. Right. Finkel is Einhorn. Yeah. I was like going to frisbee my phone out the window. <laughs> as I was like, you know, I'll come back to this. But like you said, I'm just going to have to do it myself. I wish you would. I so do. Just just those mini explosions. I don't know. That just It just... It just... Uh, Tickles me pink, I guess. <laughs> I love that that is a thing that you take great joy oh, in. For sure. Uh, so yeah, Robert Duvall, not in it much. Some great little freakouts in there. <laughs> yeah, I, a lot of people are turned up to 11 in this movie at different times, mm-hmm. and that's part of the charm, I think. Yeah. But uh, any final thoughts on uh, Network before we move on to our final film? No. Let's, let's move it on. All right. So 1987. 
taking another sharp left turn within the journalism subgenre. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have broadcast news. I've never seen you like this with anybody, so don't get me wrong when I tell you that Tom, while being a very nice guy, is the devil. This isn't friendship. You're crazy, you know that? What do you think the devil's going to look like if he's around? God. Come on, no one's going to be taken in by a guy with a long red pointy tail. Come on, what's he going to sound like? (laughs) No. I'm semi-serious here. You're serious. He will be attractive. He'll be nice and helpful. He'll get a job where he influences a great God-fearing nation. He'll never do an evil thing. He'll never deliberately hurt a living thing. He'll just bit by little bit lower our standards where they're important. Just a tiny little bit. Just coax along, flash over substance. Just a tiny little bit. And he'll talk about all of us really being salesmen. And he'll get all the great women. I mean, right into a romantic comedy? Safe to say? Yeah. Yeah, it's... uh, It's... It's a little more complicated than that, but yes. Um, a little bit. So written and directed by James L. Brooks, whose name comes to mind mostly for me for being a producer on The Simpsons ever since the beginning. Interesting. Um, okay. Has been involved with some big movies such as Terms of Endearment and As Good As It Gets, which he directed. But I think a bigger deal in television, in addition to The Simpsons, The Tracy Ullman Show, Taxi, Mary Tyler Moore Show, he was a producer on all of those shows. Oh, wow. And many, many more, if you want to go look at his long Wikipedia page. Mm. Um, it's funny, like, I saw I saw James L. Brooks, and I knew that Albert Brooks was in this movie, and I got it in my head because he's a writer-director as well, that uh, Albert Brooks directed this movie. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like, I watched it, I enjoyed the whole thing, the whole time thinking, like, oh, he directed this and he put himself in it. And then afterwards, I was looking it up and I was like, oh, wait, James L. Brooks, he's fucking <laughs> awesome, too. That's just a yeah. weird coincidence that I got confused uh-huh. with. Big time. Um, Why don't you uh, give us the, the premise on this one? Okay. So this is broadcast news. This is in a uh, fictional... Washington DC TV network news news network and you have Holly Hunter is like the like whip smart and intense producer and she's very like uh I guess for the time it was kind of like uh, it was a maybe like a point of view they were getting away from where like the you know the real like hard gritty news and it was like transforming over to like lighter and more airy news stories and which is funny that's almost the exact opposite direction that uh, network takes right it, it is it is exactly so um early in the movie she's like giving a seminar kind of like a talk about that full of like people in the industry who more or less boo her and leave no one wants to hear it like you know she shows a clip of uh God, what is this? Well, like she fast. she's saying like, you know, there was this time when I, there was some crazy world event happening. And then she's like, and this is what was playing on like all right, of these right. news stations. And it's she shows goofy. a video. It's like a bunch of Asian children setting off a giant like domino uh, like, right, right, right. display thing. 
And all of these people who work in the industry and are sitting in the audience are like clapping and laughing. And she's like, yeah. no, no, like this is fun, but this isn't the news. And they're all basically right. just like, fuck you and leave. <laughs> yeah. So it's confirming exactly what she didn't want that, you know, that's where it was. That's where it was heading. She didn't want it. You know, um, and then at that, uh, William Hurt, who's a broadcaster, he's like a he's like a television believe, personality, like a yeah. He comes from like sports, yeah, an anchor. They they meet and they kind of hit it off a little, and then come to find out that he was hired at her network to be the new on air personality. So it's basically like exactly what she didn't want was like some like kind of big oafish. Sports caster, like not a real newsman. He's like a pretty boy, and Albert Brooks's character, um, where like the kind of love triangle falls with her between these two men. He's like an actual like journalist who's like mm-hmm. into journalism in general, and it's like his like the thing that he wants to do, and he's very serious about it, and like knows a lot about it. Whereas William Hurt, you get the impression. Like he looks real good on camera, right? Um, and he's capable. He's pretty dumb, but he, yeah, he's like, it's he's not into it. He, it's like not a big deal to him, mm-hmm. and he's kind of part of the problem where he, yeah, like, he's, he's like, not he's a hard hitter. It, yeah, he's not in it for the news. He's in it to be on TV. Yeah, and then kind of yeah, just really like the kind of love triangle ensues from there. It is interesting though that like that's always part of the movie, but for a long time. I mean, it's it's not super sappy. Um, no, it's not like a romancy type of movie. Um, no, but it's not. It's a, it takes a, a quite a bit for it to even like get the triangle aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like you almost don't know where the movie. No, sure where the movie's going. Yeah, but at the same time, always entertaining. Um, just kind of that uh, you know, um, behind the scenes stuff that. Uh, kind of like network is interesting about just seeing how like one of these stations runs and everything. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say that like, so I didn't really know a lot about this movie. Um, I had heard of it before, but kind of went into this one cold. And then, you know, uh, I, I watched them, I watched them in the order that we're talking about them. So I rewatched all the president's men. I already knew what that was, but it's like a kind of a calculated um, procedural film very serious in tone and the network serious in tone, but also absurd at the same time. And then this movie, like those two films, like whether or not they come off as like silly on screen in the case of network, like they're taking themselves and their messages seriously. And then this movie begins with flashback scenes to the three main characters as children. And it's got this kind of like, this music that I kind of identify with like family films from the early nineties. Um, Millsy. I'd be sorry to cut you off, but we're just, we're on such the same wavelength tonight. That's <laughs> not even funny, but I will, I will just say I found the music in this very distracting because it was, it felt way too much like a Hallmark channel. Yeah, it's very like, I don't know how to put it, but it's like very mainstream, like just like milk toasty kind of music that almost feels like it's, too big in and dumb in like the emotions that it's trying to get across. Yeah. But um like the movie opens up and it's like you you haven't even met the characters yet. But it's like it's I think the first one 
is the kid who will grow up to be William Hurt. And he's in the car with his dad and he's showing his dad his uh, report card. And the dad's like, oh, you you got C's and, and D's, but I know you really tried. Like, what's the problem? And the kid's like, I don't know. I guess I just have to try even harder, like very kind of like keeping his chin up. And the dad's mm-hmm. like, well, why don't I get you a tutor? And the kid's like, I really would appreciate that. I think that'll help. Giving you the impression when you see uh, William Hurt's character later on, like he's always wanted to be better, but he just can't get there. It's like he would like to be Albert Brooks's character, but he's mm-hmm. just not inherently. He's just yeah. like good looking and he'll succeed despite the yeah. fact that he doesn't have all the skills you think yeah. would be necessary just, for his job. He doesn't have he doesn't have it, quote unquote. Yeah. And then they show Albert Brooks as a kid. And he's like the wise ass who's like kind of smart beyond his years. Nobody likes him because he is kind of a know-it-all because he's smart and he knows it. And um, it's like he's graduating from school a couple of years early, I think, even because he's like so smart and like applies himself so much. But because of that, he kind of alienates himself from people because he's a bit of an ass. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they show Holly Hunter, who as a kid is just like the little – miss perfect goody two shoes like her father has to come in and yell at her to go to bed but it's not because she's staying up watching tv or talking on the phone she's writing to her pen pals in foreign countries and (laughs) and that like just i don't want to call it dumb but it's just like simple kind of in your face way to set up the movie and with that music and everything i was immediately like this tonally does not match the other two movies we watched i agree i was like i was even as quick to say i was like this is a lot goofier than I was expecting. Yeah. But I will say that, um, you know, settling into that kind of late 80s, early 90s, like mainstream movie, romancy comedy tone, I really enjoyed this movie because it had those elements of like the goofy comedy, like romance comedy dramedy movies from that Mm -hmm. era but it Mm -hmm. also really felt like it had something to say uh like it like kind of the the point of view in network but dialed way back where it's still there but that's not the sole focus of the movie without the satirical bent it's the realistic yeah it's again it's also kind of the opposite of all the president's men where that movie didn't focus on like the actual lives of the the two journalists at all this movie is the opposite where it's not quite 50-50 but i would say like 60-40 like the characters lives versus the actual way the news runs mhm but after watching those other two movies i even found it kind of refreshing because it was a different kind of film yeah well, which was nice about this episode is just the three vastly different genres. Um, I would agree. It was cool, like you were saying, with the the behind the scenes stuff. That scene where she has to cut that like section of the the broadcast, mm-hmm. like with a she has to use Albert Brooks's like uh, his voiceover. And there's like a fade to the painting, you know, that whole thing. Yep. And they're trying to cut. They have like 15 seconds to finish cutting this thing. Yeah. The Norman Rock. That was like painting. all kind of fascinating to see. Yeah. And again, probably very Hollywood eyes. Like I doubt that they're down to the wire that much where Joan Cusack sure, has to run sure. down a hallway carrying a tape and run into the water fountain and all that shit. But first appearance of your girl, Joan Cusack oh, on was Triple it? Threat. On oh, Triple, oh, Threat. Triple Threat. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I believe I'm, I'm. I'm checking the list. I don't think she showed up yet, but I'm sure she will again. No, yeah, no, I, I don't think she's shown up yet. Um, apparently, uh, John Cusack also a small part in the movie that I completely missed. I saw that. I mean, I don't think you'd even see his face, mm-hmm. but I did see the uh, IMDb credit. Yeah, and the the trivia bit. But um, yeah, like I don't know. It this movie still it's like very caught up in that world of of a broadcast news station and mm-hmm. seeing all the the behind the scenes and how things work and like one thing that they tackle that um network really doesn't is just like like uh network was more about like the big decisions behind the scenes at a television studio like what they wanted like what they should have on the air and what they shouldn't and all this but broadcast news what i found interesting it was a little more in that realm of all the president's men where there were parts of this movie that felt very procedural. Like you yes. were saying, like how like segments are put together and the whole concept of, you know, one production company will produce a segment and then it goes out to like all of the different affiliates. And that's how it ends up on uh, like whatever the big news network was in the movie that uh, Jack Nicholson worked for. Right. Which is a great quick cameo. He's in it for all of four minutes total, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Uncredited until the very end, too. Yeah, I didn't know he was going to be in the movie. And then when I saw him, I was yeah. like, is that, is that who I think it was? <laughs> yeah. I will say, um, which is uh, kudos to the writing on this, but between the three main characters, like, I thought their three characters were written really well. Mm-hmm. Vastly different. Yep. Um, Holly Hunter's got a great explosion freak out scene that I was happy to see. <laughs> yeah, for such a uh, a petite woman, she uh, she can fucking yeah. let loose the vocal cords. <laughs> Dude, she's intimidating in that movie. <laughs> yeah, big time. Even though it's like, especially standing next to William Hurt, her head comes up to like his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, that's just again goes to show. Uh, some great acting. Yeah, and she was not going to play the lead role. I can't remember who it was, but uh, oh, um, the act- someone that was pregnant. I yeah, think. she got pregnant, and they literally replaced her like at the last minute with Holly Hunter. Right. And then I thought like, she was great in this movie. Yeah, I think it was like two or three days before filming. Mm-hmm. She was awesome, is, like a great choice for the role. Yeah, um, again, back to my whole like uh, thing being a fly on the wall in Hollywood, yeah. like. Look how this movie turned out with someone that was like not even can in the running until she had to be. Yeah, you know? last minute replacement. Seriously, but yeah, I mean, just the tone of this one more than the other two put me into like a very comfortable place. And then when you have such good writing combined yeah. with that, it's just like comfort food or something like that. I gotta say, um, well, first I'll say. More so than possibly any other episodes. I feel like this is the first one where I'm like, you need to see all three of these movies for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, this one um, definitely enjoyed. It seems weird to say, but I like I already said, the music really took me out of it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just it's very distracting and it just doesn't. I don't know if it's like uh, the tone of the movie would be different with different music, which I guess you, you almost could say about anything, mm-hmm. but you really have, you have to see this one to see, just hear how odd this music is. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have a huge problem with the music. It did stand out to me at parts, but I do think it was a part of that feeling that I, it's like hard for me to even get across, but just 
the type of movie that it feels like to me. It put me in this like very specific space where mm-hmm. I had never seen it before, but I just felt comfortable in the movie and um it just helped put me into a specific place where I yeah. like enjoyed the movie a lot. And I think it was partially because of the music, despite the fact that it is a little unusual. Um, moving on from that back to what we're talking about, how the writing is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Albert Brooks is probably my favorite part. He's real good in the movie. And man, th- multiple times is he referred to as an asshole. Mm hmm. And it is 100% correct. <laughs> he says some stuff to people in this movie that is like cuts you to the core. There's that one point, I'll just say this one part where, help me out here, Millsy, but he was talking about like after he's like years have gone by and he has children mm-hmm. and like he's alluding to like seeing Holly Hunter. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, well, I would just tell my son, like, not to talk to that single overweight woman or whatever. <laughs> right, right. The, the look on her face, I paused it and rewound it because I was like, God damn, Albert Brooks. <laughs> I was like, shit. Yeah. And there's a couple points where they're, you know, he's alluded to, like, yeah, he's an asshole. Like, yeah, I'm an asshole. And they certainly back that up. It's totally that thing, though, of, like, he is probably smarter than everyone in the room Mm -hmm. and he probably doesn't mean to be an asshole all the time, but you know, he just, he can't help it because when he's in conversation with people who are kind of beneath him, it just comes out. And I mean, a lot of that is directed toward William Hurt who, you know, the two of them could not be more different within the movie as we Mm -hmm. already discussed. But I would say that the one part that, I kind of didn't love might be the ending. Oh, I'll back you up completely on that. Yeah, it, it's something about, I feel like it's a dangerous road you walk when you have like these characters in a situation and like you get to know them in that situation and you're comfortable there. And then, you know, something happens at the end of the movie and the all the characters kind of go their separate ways. And then I don't remember how long it was, but let's just say like seven years, seven years later, they do yeah. like like the movie could have probably ended there with like one more scene of them saying goodbye to one another or something. But yeah. then it does like the seven years later. And now it's like in a very short amount of time you have to recontextualize who all the characters are and what they're doing with their lives and how unsatisfying some of their decisions may have seemed. Yeah. And, um, they don't give you a lot to work with. Yeah. It's bittersweet. And it just left me, even though it's like hopeful or whatever, it left me with me with a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. I wouldn't even know if I could have referred to that as hopeful. I just, I thought it was very, I mean, it took the movie down a notch, I think for me in that part. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I would have rather, I think, just not seen any of that. Yeah. And had it had the same effect. There was no payoff to that ending. Mm-hmm. So that was a bummer. Yeah, I almost would have preferred if it just, you know, followed Holly Hunter, who is the main character, like, to her new job. And, like, you saw her get set up and then, like, almost the feeling of, all right, well, you could almost watch this movie over again from the beginning and the same events could transpire because she's at a mm-hmm. new place and here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was the one thing. I mean, the beginning was kind of goofy with the kids as well. But yeah, I probably could have done without that. Like, you didn't need the context for what the kids are like. Once you meet the yeah. characters, you know. You, you still know what the tone of the movie is. But between that 
And the music, for whatever reason, I know I'm just hanging on that music, <laughs> but it just it just had a, an odd effect to me. Yeah. Um, but Yeah, I would say that the very beginning and the very end were like my two least favorite parts, but all the stuff in the middle is just like great drama. Um, like there's some good like work-related tension. Mm-hmm. I loved moments like when, uh, even though um, Albert Brooks's character had like been working as a journalist for so long and had been on the news like plenty he's never been an anchor and that's kind of always the position that he wanted and then William Hurt never really wanted it but just kind of ended up there and he's Mm -hmm. good at it naturally despite the fact that he's not that invested and I love when Albert Brooks gets a chance to anchor on the news (laughs) and he has Mm -hmm. to ask William Hurt for advice and then Mm -hmm. he has to kind of swallow his pride and in that scene like it's interesting as much of a buffoon as William Hurt is like watching him actually give him good advice. I was going to say it's solid, fantastic advice. It's just like a great like reversal of roles in that moment. And then of course when Albert Brooks is actually on air, you know, that's a, it's a pretty funny scenario as well. Right. It's just, uh, you know, could be your worst nightmare. Yeah. And when it comes to like, romantic dramas and stuff like this um tell me if this makes any sense but there's plenty of movies romantic comedies straight up romance films where inevitably there's a falling out between the people who are in love or like people who have been friends forever and are finally confessing the love or whatever and i feel like if the impetus for the falling out is too simple and easily described it doesn't have the same impact but if, like in this movie, when Holly Hunter goes to Albert Brooks's house that last time when she's wearing the dress after the, the gala mm-hmm. that her and William Hurt were at, and, mm-hmm. like, they are having an argument as, like, he's expressing his feelings to her, she's expressing how she feels about William Hurt, and it's like they're in this big argument, and I understand it's an emotionally-fueled argument, but I almost can't follow why they're arguing like i feel like that makes for the best scenario because when things are ruled by emotion they don't always make the most sense if it's not like if it's just like you cheated on me you slept with somebody else yep i did now we're fighting that's not Mm -hmm. as interesting but like in this movie there was like real complicated emotions involved with there was like history yeah. And emotion. There was a lot there. And like it works super well because it's just like the argument that they're having isn't just a simple I made a mistake. It's just like taking their entire relationship as friends and recontextualizing it in this moment when like Albert Brooks could have and should have acted on his feelings forever ago. But like he's only now doing it now that she has feelings suddenly for William Hurt, despite the fact that he seems like the last kind of guy she's ever be interested in. Right. It like it just the drama there is so much better. And then you have the two of them acting against one another and it's just fantastic. Yeah. It's just a that was a great a, scene. It was that movie's just like a good perfect storm of things. Yeah. As far as like the acting comes, mm-hmm. you know. And it's really weird to me that I feel like I'd never really heard of it. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but this was nominated for a few Oscars as well. Yeah, like six or seven. Yeah, I'm, this is probably also a first for uh, for this show that all three of these movies are like Oscar winners, I believe. Not not only just uh, nominated. I don't think this one won anything. Didn't it? I thought it won something. 
Maybe I'm wrong. I, I could be wrong, but I mean, regardless, the, it had big nominations. Yeah, so. I know Network had like three of the stars won and a, like one or two other yep. things. I know that All the President's Men definitely won for like set design mm-hmm. and maybe one or two other things. I thought this won something too, but even if it didn't, like three Oscar-nominated films. Yeah, multiple Oscars mm-hmm. too, So, but yeah, which is no joke. This one, like were you familiar with this movie at all beforehand? Or? No. Not at all. Yeah, me neither. Not even remotely. And to look at like the poster and the box cover, I I never would have looked at that and said that's something I need to watch. But then like after the fact, finding out that Criterion put it out on DVD and Blu-ray, oh. that's kind of wild to me. Yeah. But at the same again, time, it is like a well-regarded movie. Yeah. Again, like it goes back to, you know. I've said, I think I've said before, but like a lot of these movies I've been getting at like the library or tracking down whatever way mm-hmm. broadcast news I got from the library and it was the criterion. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I was like, yeah. While I was watching it a little bit, but definitely before I was like, this is a criterion. Yeah. It's kind of like, the, you yeah. know, the hubbub when they announced that breakfast club was going to be criterion and some people were like, Oh, that movie yeah. is going to be criterion. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And like, you know, I know that Breakfast Club is like a beloved movie. There's definitely like a cult following for it and everything. Um, so that one like makes sense to me. But I feel like that movie and this movie kind of play in the same mainstream ballpark. Yeah. While still, I mean, while hate... this one is still very good, you know. I used to have a copy of The Rock on Criterion. Oh, yeah. So, I think Armageddon you know, this... was is Criterion as well. It is. On DVD. Yeah, a couple. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're there. <laughs> yeah. A little something for everybody. Mm-hmm. Keyword being a little... But no, yeah. like this movie, you know, I guess with the Oscars and everything, it probably is deserving of being a Criterion film, but uh, like I never would have assumed it was yeah. one. No, no, no. I don't know. I, it's kind of kind of fascinating in that regard. Yeah, I kind of liked it enough, though, where I was like, oh, maybe I should track that down. I bet you there's some cool special features on there. <laughs> Which, uh, I, like it. I like your style. I guess that brings us to the segment where we determine whether or not we would buy, borrow, Ooh. or burn the movies on Indeed. the show so you want to go first or you want me to go mm, i want you to go okay so easiest one for me even though i like the movie i feel like i don't connect with it on the same level that a lot of people do is network is the one i would burn uh, because i do like it but um i feel like i have like a real attraction to the style of film that all the president's men is just mm-hmm. like that procedural aspect that I keep going on and on about. And I just feel like it's a very unique film because of that. <clears throat> and then broadcast news was just so much fun, so enjoyable on many different levels for me um, mm-hmm. as being even kind of a pedestrian film that uh, those are the two that are battling it out for the top spot for me. But I think just because of the sheer like masterful, like, direction and style of the film i gotta go buy all the president's men borrow broadcast news and burn network for me Mm, fascinating well being my turn yeah yeah it's probably pretty clear i just there's just no (laughs) divine there's no denying all the president's men is a buy Mm mm-hmm it's just like, I feel like I could watch that again now. I almost wish I do own it. I want like a nice version of it. Um, It's just, you know, it's captivating enough that even just being a true story aspect of it, um, 
I'm a big Robert Redford fan. I mean, this is the, it's checking off a lot of boxes, mm-hmm. and it, it's deserving of all that praise. Definitely. And I think it was like the best looking one as well, which is um, not to say the other ones aren't, but mm-hmm. just this one, like the cinematography, especially, like really did it for me. Yep. And I'll be honest, and this is a complete surprise to me, but the the last two are such a toss up. Really? Yeah, but in the end, I am borrowing network <laughs> burning broadcast news. <laughs> I, Which and it for the first time in the history of our show that might be like one of the toughest ones I've had. Really, um, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, okay, he bought the same one as me. He's gonna burn uh, uh, broadcast news just because we haven't matched yet, and it it can't happen. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not the reason I would. Do no, I'm not it. saying you, you did. Know, I was just I sitting know. here thinking like fate of, is of going course. to mean we're not gonna match. Right, one of these of days we're gonna match, and it's gonna be a momentous occasion. <laughs> yes. Um, it's just the reason being, like I said, I, I know just there's a couple aspects that the music, the couple goofy stuff from broadcast news, like it doesn't, didn't work for me nearly as good as the stuff I really liked mm-hmm. where network was just so over the top. And that, that viewing experience was a lot more positive for me. And I really liked, like, I feel if I was going to tell someone to actually like to borrow this, or like tells you know have someone else watch it like because it's so it's so relevant today as well mm-hmm. that I just feel like it has a little, it has a little more power there yeah. than broadcast news which is just an enjoyable movie you know and it, it, I think a big I've been thinking about it all day because <laughs> I knew where I've been thinking about this all day I know if this is the fifth time I've brought up the music but it's more just like I think the ending <laughs> is what I feel like the ending is really what did it in for the broadcast news. <laughs> yeah. And when it came to end the ending is crazy in network. Mhm. But you know, it's just that that whole experience what happens you know some explosive Bobby Duvall is just what takes it but I'm telling you this was a close I've gone back and forth all day about this. Wow. It's funny because uh, I went back and forth so much on the top two, but uh, mm. like, you know, um, All the President's Men was the clear better between that network, the ones that I'd seen before for me, even mm. though I like them both. And like broadcast news, even like, so I get, I got this from the library myself. And again, I didn't know a lot about the movie and I get it and I look at the cover and I'm like, oh, well, this can't be better than network. And then I watch mm-hmm. it, and I I don't even want to say it's better than Network, but I was so surprised by it. And, like, I, I wish I could have had the experience that you had with Network, where you go and watching mm-hmm. it thinking it's like a straight movie, and then all of a sudden it's so absurd. <laughs> right. right. Like, that it's, was probably an amazing experience. And it, it'll, it'll totally go down as one of those things, like, if it, ha- it had gone any other way, that easily could have switched, mm-hmm. you know? Because I could see more, so many more people enjoying broadcast news over network. That's probably like, the case with the average viewer, yeah, if I had to yeah, guess. Yeah, for sure. But, but yeah, just like going into broadcast news, knowing nothing about it, expecting it not to be great from the box cover, right. and then just being swept up in it. And just by that mm-hmm. like kind of climactic sequence we talked about with uh, the Holly Hunter and Albert Brooks in his house, like yeah. just that it's I don't know it's like sealed the deal for me and uh, they're all really good movies though yeah I mean that's the thing and I think 
because we got so many in the queue here, but um, it's been a, this is one that's clearly the hardest one to decide, which is what I think will bring about a lot of fun with our format. <laughs> yeah. Because there's going to be some hard decisions out there. Mm-hmm. Just like this one, and especially of movies I were never on my radar for any reason. I've only watched them for the show, and they have the ones that held me over the coals the worst about <laughs> deciding which one to destroy. Yeah, poor ghoulies. No, oh, poor poor ghoulies. <laughs> <laughs> ghoulies. All right. Well, you want to go ahead and uh, pick us our next uh, next theme for next episode. You already know I do. All right. Here we go. Get us that random number. And it is 92. Oh, we're finally getting into the higher numbers there. Mm-hmm. All right. Number 92 is <laughs> monkey business. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. What could that possibly mean? <laughs> oh, I don't know. We'll see, <laughs> won't we? Uh, we certainly will. Mm. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, as of right now, we don't know when we will, but we will find out what that means. Mm-hmm. Before too long, looking forward to by this the, one. By the by, the time we know when that's coming, it'll it'll just be standard. You know, it'll be a nice, however monthly or whatever we decide to uh, put these out. So yeah, that's the best thing about this is that uh, you know, as long as you still hear us talking on the show about how we don't know when these are going to post. That mm-hmm. means we haven't started posting them yet. So with all the episodes we have banked, you know it's going to be a regular schedule until at least yeah, now. baby. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited about this next one. Mm-hmm. As am I. How could I not be? Seriously. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do buddy. it for the nightly news. And now we all have Ooh. monkey business to look forward to. <laughs> Signing off. Yeah. So until then, uh, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxbreaker. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy.